What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we are going to talk about fat loss, and normally, I don't love my content to be so fat loss heavy, but it's the start of the new year, and you guys are getting bombarded with a whole bunch of fat loss content, and I feel like it's important for me to at least say my piece, give you guys some tips in, uh, in terms of um, starting a cut in the new year. And what I will say really quickly on just like kind of this New Year's resolution thing is that I'm all for it. If you feel motivated to kind of pair some of these positive changes in your life with the new year, you know, it's January, it's a new year, it feels like a fresh start and you can kind of bottle that up and push yourself to make some positive changes. I love that. I think people who shit on New Year's resolutions because you shouldn't need the new year to make changes, you should want to do it all the time. Like I understand the sentiment, but you know, you're kind of shitting on something where actually people actually do make a lot of really good changes. The, the statistics of how many people follow through 100% on all of their resolutions, sure, that's low. But the amount of people who make some positive change that they might not otherwise have made is probably astronomically high. Um, I make resolutions every year and I look at them every couple of months and do I follow through 100% all the time? No, but do I make positive changes that I might not otherwise have made? Absolutely, yes. So if you're feeling motivated right now at this time of year, that's cool. You should feel um, like, you know, empowered by that. You shouldn't let other people get you down about that. And let's make some positive changes together. And with that, let's talk about 10 tips for your 2022 cut. Now, what I will say is these are not in any particular order of like most to least important. So please stick around for the entirety of the podcast. There are a couple important ones at the end. Um, cool. That is it. Let's stop dilly-dallying. Let's get into the podcast. So number one is spend some time at maintenance beforehand or at least consider spending some time at maintenance beforehand. Now, what I will say is this is not mandatory for some special physiological reason. Um, this idea of spending some maintenance before you cut, if you have just come out of a cut, spending some time at maintenance does have physiological value. What I'm talking about more is if you've just come out of a period, which many people have, uh, of like very, let's say very unstructured eating patterns in the holidays, you've had more social events, you had cookies in the house, you just had a bit of like chaotic eating, maybe non-structured eating, and you're feeling a little bit like out of control all over the place, that at least consider maybe focusing on for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, steadying the ship, you know, getting the ducks in a row, getting your shit together at maintenance. Uh, and unintentionally what happens is actually people end up losing weight during this time for some reason, um, maybe because they were eating in a surplus and now they go to maintenance, they lose a little bit of water weight, they start feeling a little bit better. And I think that can be really helpful within the context of not having to be tired and hungry, right? It's like if, if we can steady the ship and put some helpful habits in place now, you will be more successful in your cut. So let's take some of that uh, motivation that you're feeling right now and put it towards a couple of weeks, two to four weeks, two to six weeks, two to eight weeks of maintenance uh, now so that we can build some of those sustainable habits that will make you more successful in your cut and get you back to feeling like a lot of people are feeling unstructured and they're feeling like they've been out of control and they're feeling like they've been all over the place. And fixing that and kind of putting the train back on the tracks, getting some structure, honestly, that makes people feel a whole F load better. Um, yeah, maybe you also technically want to lose some fat, but sometimes just getting your ducks in a row and just getting um, a hold of things a little bit better in the new year makes you feel a whole lot better. It's like my job as a coach in the initial part, our initial phase of working together is to get you feeling like the train is back on the tracks, get you feeling like your hands are back on the reins, uh, like you're in control, like you know the direction that you're going. So I feel like that is actually very underrated. And if you can do that for even a couple of weeks, steady the ship, 
you know, get a good couple of food shops in, you know, start taking a look at your social habits, your alcohol consumption, you know, building a, a structure around the way you're eating. Maybe you're getting back to ca tracking calories. Um, doing all that stuff in the context of also being in a deficit can sometimes be hard. Doing that with more calories is just by definition easier. Cool. Again, not mandatory, but I've seen that improve or increase the, the likelihood of success in fat loss. Next, number two is get a coach. And I'm, obviously I'm biased. I am a coach, but just want to reiterate that this is probably something that you shouldn't go alone. I mean, we don't we don't do this sort of thing where we go, you know, rogue in other parts of our life where that we want um, to, to be successful at. If you want to learn a new skill, you go to a class, you hire a teacher. Like if you want to learn a language, you do something where you're hiring some form of a professional to help, whether it's an app or a class or something. Like if you want to lose weight, you want to improve your health, you want to improve your fitness, um, hire some help. I just feel like it's something that can, I, obviously I do this for a living, so I see it on this side, but it takes a lot of the stress of building the structure of a, of a program, of a plan, of habit formation, of behavior change. It takes a lot of that stress and pressure off you and allows you to kind of execute. It gives you somebody to have a sounding board or it gives you a sounding board for some of these decisions to be made. Uh, massively beneficial. I, and I think that we look a lot at like the you know, the weight regain statistics and the weight loss maintenance statistics, and they seem a bit daunting. It's like, you know, I, I, the truth is our weight re regain statistics are, are abysmal. Like we just, uh, you know, if you look at it on a population level, we're not really great at sustaining fat loss. Uh, but I also think that the percentage of people that are going at this alone is very high. The percentage of people that are working together with a coach is actually very low. And you might be listening to this podcast and think that everyone has a coach because, you know, you're in somewhat of an echo chamber also because you follow me on Instagram, maybe or you follow other coaches and you have this, you at least are living in this world where having a coach is normalized, but the average person, you know, doesn't really even understand what that is. And they, you know, get their nutrition information out of a magazine or off of a website or something, a pop-up or something, you know, uh, Dr. Oz or some other bullshit. And so, um, this, we should normalize this having a coach, right? Um, you know, this time of year is very ripe for people jumping into something extreme. And I would rather you bottle that emo that motivation that you have right now and pair it with some professional guidance. I really think that that's going to give you the best chance for success. Now, I'm not going to talk too much in the next eight tips here about setting calories, setting macros, because getting a coach should be taking care of that. And so this get a coach thing should be, should be taking care of that. Just got a phone call. Not sure if that sound came in, but if it did, I'll edit it out anyway. Uh, again, so yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about the setting the calories or setting the macros because uh, getting a coach should be also taking care of that stuff. Um, cool. Number three is resistance train. Now, I will be honest, resistance training... <laughs> in terms of fat loss, it's not such a tight connection. Like my advice as to why people should resist strain doesn't have a ton to do with, well, it's gonna help you lose fat better. Um, it doesn't burn a lot of calories um, and it doesn't have a lot directly to do with fat loss. However, shifting your mindset around exercise towards getting stronger and building muscle and away from trying to burn excess calories is probably an overall really good thing for a number of reasons, some that are health related, some that are aesthetic related, some that are just quality of life related. Um, you know, most of you guys listening to this, you want to do a cut. Most people are like, I want to look fit, right? They're not like, I just want to be smaller and I don't care at all about the shape of my body. Like, and, and from an aesthetic perspective, people 
geared, you know, or, or lean closer to this word like toned or whatever word that you want to use that would give me, you know, give a headache. Um, but you, you know, the body you're after probably has more muscle and less fat than you do right now. It probably has both. And so your goal is probably fat loss, not weight loss. We don't really want to lose lean body mass. We don't want to lose muscle. Um, and I have another podcast on muscle loss to talk to that discusses kind of how to mitigate that. And so um, I'll post that in the description. But at the end of the day, resistance training is going to help you keep the muscle on your body. It'll help your body lose fat when you're in a deficit. And at the end of the day, that is what most people want. Most people aren't like, yeah, just I don't care. I just want to be smaller. It's okay. Yeah, maybe that's a big part of your goal. But maybe you also want to have some form of muscle definition. Now, beyond that, I think Again, I think this has less to do with fat loss and more to do with the fact that I just think everybody should be resistance training. So yeah, this is in a a part of a podcast called Tips for Your 2022 Cut, but it's, I mean, it's just tips for freaking everybody on planet Earth. Um, I think resistance training is uniquely beneficial. And I use the word uniquely because if we look at all the benefits of resistance training, we could be here all day. Hundreds of benefits. Every single health benefit that you could ask for, you can get with resistance training. But there are some that are unique to resistance training. One of which is the aesthetic benefit. Obviously, we just talked about this is the only style of training that's really going to create muscle growth or at least preserve muscle in deficit. So from an aesthetic standpoint, it's unique. Uh, From a strength and a bone density and a physical autonomy and an insulin resistant perspective, it's unique. It is the only, you know, you need resistance training to build strength. If we're talking about uh, improving bone mineral density, if we're talking about fighting the osteopenia, the osteoporosis, the sarcopenia that happens with aging, resistance training is the only training that's going to really help you do that. Um, if we look at from a physical autonomy, which I don't think people talk about enough, the ability to live your 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 physical life on your own terms, play with your grandkids, go on that hike, go for that bike ride, play with your dog, whatever it is, that that is something that we need to be strong for. Now, that's... You could do other styles of training that also helps you be, you know, physically autonomous there. But I do think resistance training plays a huge role. Uh, if we look at insulin resistance, yes, weight loss independently can help this as well. But having more muscle increases the uh, ability for your body to deposit that blood sugar somewhere into the muscle glycogen. Uh, it is your biggest deposit storage area in the body. And so having more muscle helps with that insulin resistance, that blood sugar regulation as well. Um, I'm going to post a podcast with Sal Stefano from uh, Mind Pump that I did. Uh, he was on my podcast maybe a month ago, and we talked all about the importance of resistance training, specifically in the context of fat loss. Uh, and yes, listen, we're going to talk about steps and cardio and movement in another tip here. But listen, remember, yes, doing cardio does help you lose fat. Duh, it burns calories. Absolutely. Um, but you can probably get a better end result overall if you prioritize the calories you're eating, getting steps, and lifting for muscle retention, growth, and strength. And I think that that is going to be, on the whole, a better strategy for you to, that that ends in a more appropriate or accurate result of what you want instead of just trying to burn as many calories as possible is very likely not a strategy that works really well in a sustainable long-term. All righty, tip number four. Take a look at your habits and genuinely assess if they're conducive for fat loss right now. And this is not um, as um, optimistic a tip as you might have expected. But honestly, I think take a second before you jump into your cut. Take a look at your life. Is it conducive for the reduction of calories, for sustaining less calories right now? 
what's your alcohol consumption like? And I'll attach another podcast I did with uh, Danny Matranga that was released, you know, the last podcast I did. Um, we talk all about alcohol consumption and fat loss and muscle gain and overall health and how, how to fit it in and can you fit it in and all of this stuff. So I recommend listening to that. But take a look at your alcohol consumption. Take a look at your social life. Take a look at your stress levels. Like it's going to be hard to live your 2,400 calorie lifestyle on 1,700 calories. And so take a look at what your life looks like. If you go out to eat four times a week, it's gonna be hard to stick to under 2,000 calories. If you drink alcohol regularly and it's an important part of your life, it's gonna be hard to stick to a calorie deficit. If your sleep is shit and your work is insane right now, like how are you gonna handle eating less food? How are you gonna handle being a little bit more tired, a little bit more hungry on average? Can you sustain that, right? Uh, you know, you, you need a reminder that this isn't just oh, I'll lower lower calories and that's it. I'll just lower calories and I'll be fine. Like lowering calories and surviving those lower calories means making trade-offs to feel more satiated and fight hunger. Like, no, that doesn't mean you never have the cookie, but it does absolutely mean moving somewhere on the spectrum towards more highly prioritizing feeling satiated and well-fueled which is going to be difficult with a lot of alcohol, with a lot of social life, with a lot of stress. You know, it's going to be difficult to live your maintenance calorie lifestyle on deficit calories. So take a look at your habits, genuinely assess assess if they're conducive for fat loss, and are you able to make the trade-offs that you're gonna need to make, at least for the time being during the deficit, to make sustaining lower calories possible. Number five is track your steps. Now, I have a whole podcast on deciding how many steps you should get or, you know, should you get 10,000? I think the podcast is massively helpful. I'm going to link it in the description. If you're interested about steps, if you're trying to discuss steps with your coach or you're ignoring that cue and you're trying to do this or clue and you're, or Jesus, tip and you're trying to do this on your own, how many steps should you get? Please go listen to that podcast. It's going to really, really help you out. Um, But in general, having a step count and accumulating steps consistently on average across the week however you like best, is a massively helpful strategy and one of the most important inputs to, you know, your fat loss or your deficit size or whatever. A lot of people want to focus on what they're doing in the gym, how many calories I'm burning in the gym, and the truth is your overall step count across the week, which is mostly made up of stuff you're doing outside of the gym, is going to uh, make up the vast majority of the calories you burn. And so, again, I would go listen to that podcast. It's going to go into this a little bit more in depth. But the truth is you don't need to do concise cardio or run or hit or row. Um, You don't need to do any of those things specifically, but you sure as shit are going to need to move and move consistently. It's going to be near impossible. Listen to me very carefully. It's going to be near impossible to sustain the low calories you would need to eat if you get 4,000 steps per day. Right? Getting really low amount of steps and trying to be in a deficit means really, really, really low calories. And that's going to be tough to sustain. It's very likely that getting your movement at least up to a place, maybe in that eight to 12K per day rep range, uh, uh, step range, where that gives you an opportunity to maybe eat a little bit more is gonna be a better balance and more likely to succeed over the long term than you getting really, really low movement and compensating with really, really low calories. Excellent. Moving on, number six. Consider the use of diet breaks. Now, what is a diet break? It's like a one, maybe a one to two week break. Theoretically, a diet break could be, you know, days, any amount of time. I think um, just like within the industry, we consider it to be about an average of one week at maintenance within a deficit period. So let's say you're uh, deficiting for eight to 20 weeks or something like that. And using a diet break means going to maintenance for one, maybe two weeks during that time to kind of give yourself a psychological break. Now, 
it's pretty clear we don't really have any last, or, or these diet breaks don't really have a lasting physiological benefit. It's not like going to maintenance for a week is gonna boost your leptin so much that you you know go back to your deficit and you're all you're super satiated like you were in the beginning of the deficit. The main point of a diet break is to give yourself a psychological break to regroup, to take a step back from the deficit and then attack it again afterwards. Like this is, a more, this is more of a practical benefit that is a physiological benefit, but make no mistake, those practical benefits do exist. You know, the analogy is like, let's say you're running a marathon and you have these like little water stations, like having those water stations, you know, is an important part of you succeeding and doing your best in that marathon. Now you might be the kind of person who thinks, you know, if I stop running, I'll break my momentum and it'll be difficult for me to kickstart and get back to running in my pay, in my normal pace. And so you might take less frequent breaks or no breaks at all. That's fine. There's a reason that this tip is consider the use of diet breaks. Some people are going to do way better with pit stops along the way so that they can psychologically, mentally, emotionally break up the task into smaller chunks so that they'll be more likely to succeed that way. You know, if you're taking, if you're running the marathon, I'll tell you right now myself, you know, I, I'm gonna be, bef the night before, the month before, I'm gonna be looking up where these water stops are, so I might be able to psychologically break this up in my head, um, where I'm like, okay, here I'll, you know, here's where I'll stop, or here's whatever, I'm, you know, it might be, people who've run a marathon, they're like, okay, that's not how you do it, whatever, but just bear with me with that analogy here. Um, so, Consider it. If you have a long weekend or a vacation somewhere in your prescribed deficit time, that might be easier to manage if you had more calories. I like pairing these diet breaks with some of those life factors. Um, otherwise, you can consider not taking a diet break. That's fine. What I like doing with my clients is I like putting a diet break on the calendar, uh, depending on how long the deficit phase is, maybe one diet break, maybe two diet breaks. And if you know, kind of setting those there. It's kind of like identifying where those water stops are on the marathon. But then when you get to them, if you're feeling good and your momentum is high and you want to keep going and you don't want to take it, that's fine. But I do think there's a psychological advantage of at least um, tentatively pre-planning some of those diet breaks. And if it rolls around and you want to kind of continue moving on, then that's fine. But I do think that like, like hey, understanding that, hey, every five weeks on the sixth week, we're going to take a break at maintenance or every deload week or every peak week, we're going to bring calories up to maintenance compartmentalizing your efforts into smaller chunks can be very, very helpful. Is it helpful for everyone all the time? Maybe not. Uh, and it also depends on other things like, uh, you know, what your lifestyle is like. Are you in a position where you're really psychologically fatigued after four or five weeks and the diet break can be very helpful? Or are you in a place where the deficit isn't all that hard because you you do a great job of like really prioritizing making lifestyle changes and you can just kind of blow through it and don't need to kind of spend an extra week at maintenance? You can get to maintenance a little bit sooner. That's fine. There's pros and cons. Listen, this goes back to like having a coach. These should be discussions that you're having with the coach. Are we going to use die breaks? Are we going to pre-plan them? Are we going to auto-regulate them and wait until, you know, maybe I express some biofeedback that tells you I need one. And so these are the discussions you can have with your coach, but you should be at least considering the use of die breaks. Number seven, if you are going to track calories, let's say, or if you're going to track at all, Consider consider counting just calories and protein instead of all three macros. Now, I will say this isn't going to be a huge podcast on this. This could be its own podcast. I feel like maybe not, um, but there are going to be a lot of like people who are diehard macro counters who would potentially disagree. Maybe I would love to hear their disagreements. But anyway, the truth is, if you equate for calories and protein, your fat loss and body comp changes will be near identical outside of the extremes. Now, listen to me very carefully. When I say the extremes, I mean, if you compared somebody who's keto, which is extremely low carbohydrate, 
compared with somebody who is extremely high carbohydrate, calories and protein equated, over the long term, paired with resistance training, we would probably see a little bit of better muscle growth in the carbohydrate group. Um, but we're not talking about over the long term. We're talking about in the context of a calorie deficit. We're talking about, you know, potentially eight to 20 weeks. And we're talking about a state of being that is way more about your ability to adhere to calories and protein than it is about your ability to maximize performance in a deficit. Um, you can be way more flexible counting just calories and protein with basically no downside. And you can focus more on the foods you like. Again, I'm not saying that there might not be a difference between super high carb and super low carb very consistently over the long term. This isn't that though. If you tell people to count calories and protein and not to worry about carbs and fats, what they end up doing is some relatively even distribution between carbs and fats that properly reflects the food that they like and an eating pattern that they can be most consistent with. Like everybody who's tracked all the macros has ended their day with like some weird Frankenstein meal that they created because they had some weird assortment of macros, like six grams of protein, 21 grams of carbs, nine grams of fat, and you made some weird ass meal that you would have never made otherwise because you thought, well, there's some independent importance for me to hit all three macros. That's not true. You know, in that moment, you might've been like, wow, I have seven grams of protein left and 300 calories and I can do whatever I want with that. That is a whole new world, let me tell you. That is a whole new world and it increases the amount of flexibility that you have with no downside, seriously, no downside. Um, anything else? I, I feel pr fairly strongly on this topic. I think that this is, you know, if somebody is feeling a little bit shackled, like, like hitting all three macros is this big confusing puzzle every day, tracking calories and protein is going to give you so much more flexibility, again, with basically no downside. And even if you tried to make a physiological argument that there was a downside, which would be, I think, impossible, um, we are forgetting the fact that 99 out of 100 people are gonna be way more consistent this way because they can be way more flexible. It's gonna take them a little bit less effort, cause a little bit less anxiety. And for the time being during fat loss, wow, like, isn't that where most people go fail? They feel overwhelmed, they're hungry, they're, they're tracking becomes something that maybe ends up not being uh, something they can sustain. And so if we can make small changes in that make their ROI, that make your ROI on your effort better, then we should do that. And I think tracking calories and protein has been so unbelievably successful over the years, especially people who have come from a tracking macros background, you know, peeling back those three macros, giving you a calorie range, giving you a protein minimum, opens up your world to more, uh, choose foods that you like. I'd rather people in a deficit focus on calories first, protein second, foods you like, and then maybe carbon fats. Like, you know, if you're focusing on, I need to hit this many carbs, I need this many fats, and you don't, you know, that, that becomes something that's more important to you than choosing foods in that moment that you like. I had a client who just recently switched to this approach, um, even just to try it out so that she understands the difference. And she was going out to dinner one night and she had a steak uh, and she logged it and she went, quote, over on her fats and was under on her carbs, but she was in her calories. And she expressed that this was a moment that she felt really, really good because she was able to stick within her calorie range, hit her protein, and not worry that she was over on fat and under on carbs. Because at the end of the day, this one day, makes no difference. Calories and protein equated makes no difference. And so understanding the, the kind of hierarchy of importance and where your carb to fat ratio falls, it falls pretty low. It falls under calories, falls under protein. In my opinion, it falls under, you know, you eating foods you like in a pattern that you can sustain. Uh, cool. All right, enough on that. I didn't want to turn that into a super long rant. Number eight out of 10, we have three more important ones. 
Number eight, you don't need to, quote, diet on as many calories as possible. Uh, again, could be its own podcast here, this idea of like dieting more or less aggressively, but the truth is you don't have to go super slow. But just because I'm saying that does not mean I want you to assume going fast is the answer. Oh, everybody should go faster. We should get it over with sooner. We should get in and get out. That's a nice sentiment, and for some people it's gonna work. But I just want you and your coach to have this discussion of like, there's no one size fits all for a deficit. There's no one rate of fat loss that's best for everybody. Like it's about finding a deficit size that feels sustainable for you for the amount of time that you have to sustain it that reflects your lifestyle. Listen to that again. It's about finding a deficit that feels sustainable for the amount of time you have to sustain it, that you have to sustain it that reflects your lifestyle. Now, an example is I can, me personally, I can deficit more aggressively than most people. Why is that? I'm not better than you. I'm not special. It's not metabolism. It's not genetics. I'm not special. I, I, you know why I can diet more aggressively? Because if you look at my lifestyle, I don't drink. I don't go out much. I cook most of my meals. I live with a fitness-friendly partner. You know, I don't mind prioritizing this if it means sacrificing elsewhere. I don't mind telling people, you know, this is what I'm doing and no, I don't want your cookies. Like, if you are, you know, an executive who has five client dinners a week, like, and you think you can do an aggressive deficit, like, that's just not possible. You're not gonna be able to do this if you eat out a ton. You're not gonna be able to diet more aggressively if you drink alcohol a lot. Um, you're not gonna diet more aggressively if you don't have a good understanding of what satiating meals are for you. And so I'm not suggesting anybody, you know, jump into an aggressive diet. You shouldn't, but you should at least find, at least recognize that there's no one size fits all in terms of deficit size. It's going to come down to your, it's going to come down on some level to personal preference, but also practicality when we look at your lifestyle. Um, and so, yes, you don't need to diet on as many calories as possible. You don't need to go super slow. Slower is not better. This idea of like, oh, losing half a pound a week is the gold standard because it's so easy that you can sustain it. Okay, you have to sustain it for much longer if you want to lose a significant amount of weight. So there maybe is a, a middle ground where you can get maybe what might feel like a better bang for your buck in terms of your effort to results ratio. Um, but it has to reflect your lifestyle and the trade-offs that you're willing to make. And that kind of circles back around to a previous tip of like, look at your lifestyle and what can this lifestyle sustain? Cool. Number nine, have a plan for your reverse diet. Yes, I said I was gonna leave some of this stuff to your coach, you know, some of these like very coaching kind of, um, pure, you know, nutrition periodization discussions, setting up a cut, um, but it's too important not to discuss. And so I will... Link below, there's a lot of podcasts I'm linking below. Um, an episode I did, I think it's episode 17. It's the Reverse Dieting Podcast. And what's interesting is I've been doing this podcast for like 90 episodes now or so. And there are some things that I might say slightly differently that I said two years ago when I started this. Not two years, but like 18 months ago. Um, but this one stays fairly tried and true. Like I re-listened to this Reverse Diet Podcast because I thought I was gonna remake the podcast. And I'm not going to, at least yet. I still believe wholeheartedly in all of that. Like you do not need a fast or a slow reverse diet. There's no physiological advantage to kind of tiptoeing your calories, this like 50 calorie a week bullshit. Like discuss, to, before I get ahead of myself, discuss the reverse diet with your coach. The maintenance process, the maintenance phase after your deficit is part of the plan. This is not something you're doing afterwards. We need to start viewing this as part of the weight loss journey. Part of the weight loss journey is sustaining the weight loss. Part of the weight loss journey is transitioning back to your normal life. You know, my mentor and, you know, somebody I've learned from Martin McDonald talks about coaching people to live. There's coaching people to lose weight, but there's also coaching people to live. And coaching people to live means 
you know, helping them transition to maintenance calories and find an amount of effort that really matches up with uh, the amount of effort they want to give that allows them to live a life that they enjoy, you know, in a body that they enjoy and finding a lifestyle that makes those two things, you know, finding the right balance of a body you enjoy with a lifestyle that you like. And sometimes those two things are a little at, odd, at odds. Um, but we need to discuss the maintenance phase. When you are building your deficit with your coach, you guys should be talking, okay, what are we doing at the end of this? What is your reverse diet philosophy? How are we gonna go about doing this? At least put a framework and make sure that the client knows that this is a really important part of it. Like. Our weight loss statistics, if there were some, when it comes to like how many people try to lose weight and succeed losing weight. And when I say succeed, I just mean losing the weight. Like they've lost 20 pounds ever. Um, is probably very high. We're actually probably quite good, I would guess, at losing weight when we want to lose weight. We're just abysmal at keeping weight off. And so this, you know, this maintenance phase, this transition back to real life needs to be of the utmost important. It's hard to say that's more important because obviously it's the thing that happens second, but it is the thing that I will I will spend more time with my client. I will stress the importance of continuing to, to keep up with their healthy habits, increasing calories, but not throwing away the habits that kind of got them there, becoming the kind of person who maintains this weight loss. And so, listen, if you feel tired and hungry at the end of your deficit, get back to feeling good ASAP to limit the, the chances that you crash and binge. Like, get back to maintenance ASAP. Don't, you know, none of this 50 calorie a week, a week bullshit. You, no going unnecessarily slow back to maintenance. Please have a plan, and please make sure that plan isn't to tiptoe your way back to maintenance. Um, in that reverse dieting podcast, I lay out my potential strategies a bit more in depth, quite a bit more in depth. So if you are interested in that strat those strategies in a bit more, uh, with a bit more specificity, go ahead and listen to that podcast. But the truth is, please go faster rather than slower. Um, you know, spending an extra eight weeks in a deficit as you tiptoe calories up is a recipe for disaster. Um, and I don't mean to be hyperbolic when I say disaster. I just mean it's eight more weeks that you spend in a deficit on the tail end of, you know, eight to 20 weeks of you already probably not feeling so great. And if you can get your client or yourself to feeling good sooner, then you should probably do that. Awesome. All right, last one, last but definitely not least, is set an end date. Now, this one is something I've become increasingly, or I've you know been increasingly feeling strongly, more strongly and more strongly about year after year. Um, and this one might get a bit of re mixed reviews because I think that there's some element of like, hey, you're not, there's no rush, right? And I, I will agree with most of these statements. There's no rush. There is no technical end date where you cannot continue to try and lose fat. You know, there's no um, time in which if you don't succeed that you have to quit. Like life goes on. You can always restart. You can pick things up. You can get back on track. Like I agree with all of those statements. But what I would say is that you know, setting an end date um, does kind of help people who get stuck in this like one foot in, one foot out approach and never feel any pressure to really go all in. Now, you could you could hear the word pressure and be like, nope, we shouldn't be pressuring people. Nope, there should be no pressure involved. There's no, you know, there's no end date. You know, people can be, you know, people don't need to give up if they don't hit a certain goal weight by a certain time frame. I, I agree with, I agree. But sometimes a little bit of this pressure of like, hey, the diet is over this day. So let's compartmentalize the, the and understand that this deficit is not forever. Like you're not trying to lose, you're not trying to do this forever. It is a short block of time where you are making trade-offs for a specific goal. You are rationalizing certain things for other things. And 
it is over on this date. Like understanding the, that there is a finish line will help you most of the time um, jump in with both feet and you know, it's likely that you'll be better able to rationalize those trade-offs knowing that there is an end date. Like if it's just so open-ended, then I have seen a lot of clients uh, resist the uh, uh, that jumping in with both feet that is often required if you're really looking to make some changes. So this isn't, you know, can you succeed without setting an end date? Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you don't succeed by a certain date, can you just keep going and keep trying? Absolutely, yes. But putting an end date on it and saying, hey, on this date, I'm gonna transition to maintenance and I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna compartmentalize my efforts and that's the finish line. And when I hit that date, I'm done. And that gives me something kind of to look forward to. Uh, man, I found so much success doing it this way instead of being like, yeah, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll take it day by day. And that it technically can be true, but it we're talking about things we can do to increase the chance of success. Um, so awesome. I hope that was helpful, guys. There's obviously a whole bunch more that we could talk about in terms of specifically setting up your calories, your protein. How do we figure out your steps? You know, should you be on a meal plan? All of this stuff we could talk about maybe in another episode. In any case, those are my 10 tips for your 2022 cut. Uh, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at Jordan Lips Fitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.